and welcome to another episode of ESG Out Loud with me, your host, Natasha Turner. Today, I am delighted to be joined by TCFD Secretariat member Curtis Ravenel to talk all things regulation and what's on the horizon for COP28 this year. So thanks for so much for joining us today, Curtis. Well, thank you, Natasha, for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Let's just get right into it. I mean, what's next for the TCFD? I mean, we've heard about the sort of the changeovers to the IFRS uh, monitoring, uh, the big handover and all the excitement around the ISSB um, standards coming out. So, yeah, what's next? Well, you'll recall that the TCFD was really launched at COP21, um, and we really didn't get to work until... February that following year, and within a year and a half, we we put out our recommendations um, after lots and lots of stakeholder engagement and desktop research, and frankly, negotiations between the different members of the TCFD. You'll have to recall that, you know, those members were appointed by the G20 to represent the jurisdictions of the G20, but also to represent different components of industry, whether it's financial or real economy, but also with different roles. So you had chief investment officers and um, CFOs and um, you know analysts and a whole slew of different people. It was a really, uh, personally, from a professional standpoint, was really a gratifying thing. Now I've um, participated in a number of industry initiatives over the years. Uh, but I've never seen sort of the success that we had with TCFD, which which is remarkable in itself. And I think that's probably a combination of, um, one, the, the real deep focus on making the content consumable to a mainstream audience. So we, we try to avoid, um, and I'm guilty of this as well as the rest of us in this field, uh, climate speak and sustainable finance speak too much, but really elevate the conversation so that mainstream market participants in the C-suite and senior management and boards could understand what we were talking about. I think it's also, um, it was important that it was an FSB financial stability board project, right? Um, and so now you'll laugh at this and um, perhaps your listeners will too, it's supposed to be an 18 month project. <laughs> it's now going on really since inception anyway, eight years. So um, there was always envisioned that the TCFD's work would conclude at some point. Um, I think rightly, the FSB wanted us to monitor and encourage as much adoption as possible over the years. And there was no better people placed than the sort of wide range of TCFD members and the secretariat to kind of do that work and make sure it continued to be promoted and adopted. Um, so this is a time, this is a long time coming. The other important point to make about TCFD is it, we, th that group of people are not standard setters, right? It was a high level principles-based globally applicable framework on how to think about climate-related financial disclosure. And so these people were both users and preparers of that information. Users always want everything under the sun. Preparers, are, understandably, would like to know what specifically those users want. And so finding that sweet spot between the utility to the users of the information and the practicality of the preparers of the information was important. But it's not a standard. Um, and our hope all along was that if we had 
widespread market adoption, which obviously we have now with over 4,700 organizations from 100 countries and gajillions of dollars of AUM and market cap, um, that we would get that, that there would become a time where a proper standard setter should come in, especially since you have years of um, applicability by the by the private sector, meaning people have road tested the TCFD. They have figured out, you know, um, what is best practice? How do you actually implement that? When you're writing recommendations like that in a vacuum, you do have to sort of see how the implementation goes and adjust accordingly. So TCFD did publish a number of subsequent um, pieces on say risk management or governance and scenario analysis specifically. I think we did three different guidance updates to that. And, and then lastly, and importantly, one on metrics targets and transition plans. So, you know, the TCFD, I think, really played the role that it needed to play to galvanize the private sector. But at some point, you need the standard setters, regulators, legislators to step in. And we've seen that happen. If you look at it, the IFRS is a standard setter. The SEC, the U United States uh, Securities and Exchange Commission, is a regulator. And then the European Commission, obviously, is a legislative act. And so, you know, you do see the TCFD being the foundation for all of those activities when it comes to climate related. Of course, you can legislate this double materiality, which is what um, has happened in Europe. You can't let you can't ask a regulator to do that because their charter and remit um, are generally only focused on financial materiality. So you have a slightly different version in the US. And of course, the IFRS foundation oversees not only the newly created ISSB, but also the IASB and has jurisdictional influence. Um, it will be up to those jurisdictions whether or not they take the ISSB standard wholesale or make adjustments to it. I suspect just like the financial accounting, the IASB, there will be jurisdictional flavors, if you will, um, because they have legislative and, um, um, and policy objectives that they're may add or take away from that standard on their own. But with IOSCO's support of the found of the ISSB, that's a very big deal. And you'll see much more adoption of the standard over the next couple of years. And so it seemed like it was the right time for the TCFD to wind down. Um, and as the ISSB gets adopted globally, um, they are in a better position to track and monitor progress against that standard, as well as the TCFD, where that standard has not been deployed. So I, one, personally am, am um, <laughs> ready for TCFD to, to move on. Um, again, it was not intended to be forever. Uh, and so it's been it's been an incredible journey and experience. And I think we can we can be quite proud of of where we are. Yeah, I mean, you know, eight years instead of eighteen months has probably given you some some time for reflection and so forth. What um, what are your sort of biggest takeaways from that process? What has worked really well? Um, and presumably, you're not just sort of going on holiday now, although maybe no. you are after eight years. But um, yeah, what 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 comes next? Well, uh, I think the one thing that we know about this space is it is, if anything, ever evolving. <laughs> so. Um, this is a, you know, climate and disclosure and climate finance and the need to scale 
transition finance, et cetera, is you know, the next frontier. And the TCFD sort of laid the foundation for that. The last document that we produced a year and a half ago, I guess it was, maybe it's almost two now, was on metrics, targets, and transition planning. Basically, with the TCFD said, look, you know, you'll recall that the two sort of high-level forms of risk that TCFD identified were physical risk and transition risk. And the physical risk is uh, unfortunately come upon us faster than I think we all projected that it would in 2015. In parallel, transition risk has also accelerated. And so what is transition risk? Well, transition risk is a number of different things. One is, of course, policies. And you've seen Europe implement a ton of policies in this space. You've even seen the historically recalcitrant U.S. implement um, the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is going to by all estimates, pump quite a significant amount of money into the transition. And you're seeing other jurisdictional responses that are similar, right? You have the launching of the JEPs and all of these other uh, just energy transition partnerships between G7 and G20 countries with support from the private sector like GFANS, Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. Um, and so you've seen transition and then that coupled with declining cost curves and the IEA just reporting that you're seeing an accelerated deployment of clean energy technologies and solutions, um, that risk is real now. And so the need for credible transition plans is, is, is clear to us. There is no question in my mind and the colleagues that I work with, which is now represent like 650 financial institutions within GFANS, is the transition is happening. It's a question of speed, right? <laughs> so uh, will we transition in time is the question. Um, and so the need for it is clear. And I think when, when you have 650 financial institutions signing up for target setting and making commitments to net zero, you, know, you need something to support that. And the market needs to know, that's great that you set a target. It's great that you made a commitment. How are you going to get there? And really, in the end, I think the key thing, if you think about, I'm, I'm full of analogies today, so bear with me, but the TCFD's primary recommendation in my mind, this is a personal view, was around forward-looking scenario analysis, right? Um, that all the rest of the TCFD framing really supports that primary goal. That's the That, that was the innovation, if you will, um, of the TCFD. And a transition plan uh, acknowledges that, you know, when, once you've done that scenario analysis, what is your plan for managing that risk? And especially one of a well below two degrees aligned with the objectives of the Paris Agreement. Um, and so GFAN sort of has picked up the ball from where TCFD left it off and is running forward with it. We saw success through, I know there's some controversy. There are some people in our movement to use that term loosely who would say, you know, this becomes an excuse for uh, no regulation if the private sector is, is doing this. That is not at all our experience. I don't think you'd see ISSB or the SEC or EFRAG or any of these uh, jurisdictional or globally applicable acronyms that we love in our space, 
doing the work they're doing now unless they felt like the private sector was ready to take it on. And what I mean by that, I have a phrase that I think is funny, which is that um, regulators and standard setters and even legislators are a lot like Goldilocks. Like they don't want to be too far ahead or too far behind, not too hot, not too cold. So you can't, a regulator can't be ahead of the market, but they also, I think people don't realize this, they don't like to be behind the market either. And so when you have widespread use and adoption, it creates the political headroom for a regulator or a legislator to come in and level the playing field. Because when, especially for a financial regulator, when information is being widely used to make investment decisions, capital allocation decisions on what to lend, underwrite, or invest in, you know, it is the obligation at that time for the regulator to come in and make sure that that information is standardized to the best of the ability, has some comparability, um, and to allow uh, the capital markets to allocate capital efficiently. Remember that that adage that like capital, you know, markets allocate capital efficiently given all available information, and we've been sort of short on on climate related and sustainability related information, and now. Uh, the market has 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 caught up with that, and we're seeing that being widely implemented, which is exciting. It's not as fast as everyone would like, but this is a thorny problem. There's a lot of political politics in it, as as everyone well knows. So, uh, I'm quite pleased with the progress um, so far. And you'll see, there's a lot of work. I know there's a lot of talk about the fragmentation of these approaches between the SEC, ISSB. Europe and other jurisdiction, but there really is a very strong Venn diagram around all of it, and that Venn diagram is the TCFD. So, you know, I feel like we have done our work, and now we're moving on to the next thorny problem, and in another five years, there's going to be another thorny problem, right? Mm -hmm. Really what TCFD is about disclosure, um, and disclosure is really about information, and that information is used to hopefully allocate capital more effectively. But really in the end, what we need is 4 trillion or so a year in transition finance, right? On average between now and 2030. And so we need to pivot to be more proactive on scaling transition finance. And the just like the scenario analysis was kind of the heart of the TCFD, I think the GFAN's four financing strategies, climate solutions, um, supporting companies that are aligned and helping them grow and grab market share, supporting especially high emitting sectors that need to transition. This is a global economic system-wide problem. Divestment will not get you there. And then lastly, the managed phase out of, of high emitting assets that that's economic useful life will outlive the climate useful life. Like we need to scale those four strategies, financing strategies, and the GFANS transition planning framework is the means to that end, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of what we're working on now. And it's not an accident that a lot of the same people who worked on G on TCFD are also working on GFANS. Mark launched the TCFD, Mike was chair, Mary was head of the secretariat. You see a similar constellation with GFANS. Um, and it, this the work is getting a lot of traction and we're really excited about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you've explained really well there that um, the, the um, what, what word did you describe it, but the sort of um, all round cushion effect of the TCFD. Um, I, I guess some of the um, 
perhaps successes of it have been um like you said uh the sort of double materiality approach and the um that has been mandated in a lot of places um is there a chance and i, I know this perhaps isn't directly comparable but if with this tcfd is kind of moving aside making way for things like the issb um, standards to come in which which don't have either of those characteristics I mean, are people worried about this? And well, people are worried about this. And and, yeah. and what would you say to that? Well, what I would say gets to my earlier point, which was that you have to remember the ISSB is a standard setter who's under the charter of the IFRS. Mm -hmm. The IFRS is made up of essentially former regulators, financial regulators, and they have a uh, legal relationship with 140 jurisdictions but their charter is focused on financial materiality so that is really all that they can do unless they change their charter you it's really and changing their charter i don't think it's appropriate for the ifrs to take on double materiality i think it is appropriate for europe to take it on because they have legislated that that means it's a super body that sits atop a regulator whose remit is very clear, right? And the IFRS serves financial regulators, not legislative bodies. So I think jurisdictions, and you could also make the case, frankly, that, you know, for me, politically, um, financial materiality is kind of hard to argue with. It's not an accident that that SASB, TCFD, GFANS were all things um, that, that we supported uh, I was very involved in SASB as well, because my thesis was the whole market cares about financial materiality. And there's only some of the market that cares about double materiality. And so we should nail down and really get widespread support and adoption for financial materiality. Then you can build on that and move into the more impact double materiality bit. And Europe is doing that. And Europe's going to learn an awful lot in this process and that i do see as if you're looking at the long trend of history i do see that as the next wave of what will be worked on especially as this concept of dynamic materiality and how how these double materiality issues that may not have or maybe it's even just impact materiality becomes financial materiality over time so it's really important that, that continuum stay close. Climate change was one of these impact things 15 years ago, right? Because it wasn't a clear and imminent danger that it is now. And so you're going to see the same thing happen with some of these broader uh, sustainability issues, in my view. But for those that say that the IFRS should be broadening their lens, I just I don't agree with that, just given who they are, the constitution of their members and their uh, board members and their charter. Um, they they really can help get widespread adoption of this concept across the capital markets, and then that will then lead everybody. No one who's in financial markets ever saw a piece of information they didn't want, right? If it gave them any new insight, especially if all this other information becomes so commoditized and and valuable. So I think you're going to see progress. It might not be as fast as people want, but you'll see a shift. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, you've already mentioned a kind of few things that are on the horizon and some of the work that, that GFANS is going to be doing next. I mean, what other things should sort of sustainable fund selectors be be looking out for in the next couple of months 
um, in the lead up to COP? And then also, you know, what's this, what's your sort of outlook for COP as well this year? So, you know, I feel like for GFANS, given that we're such a huge organization, really, you know, with all of these alliance partnerships, and we do report in periodically to the FSB, but Mike and Mark are UN special envoys, and we have an advisory panel of of experts from the NGO community. Um, you know, we we're involved in a lot of things, but there really does boil down to a few things, and it's really this need for transition planning, and not just transition planning from financial sector participants, but obviously they depend quite a lot on. Uh, transition planning from the companies that they invest in. So you need real economy adoption of transition plans to inform them. And then guess what? You need governments to need to do really proper transition planning as well. So we'd like to see widespread adoption of transition planning as widespread and as consistent and as globally accepted as the TCFD. Like we've seen this movie before. We're doing our best to try to make that happen. And we're pleased with the progress so far. So far, I think you're going to see several hundred uh, institutions disclosing transition plans in and around COP. So one, transition plans. The other is transition plans is really a means to an end, capital mobilization. Like we need to see financing, transition finance, and we have our four categories that help financial institutions think about that scale. And I think there is underlying support for that. As I noted before, you've got incentives, you've got carrots and sticks, right? You've got more sticks in Europe and carrots in the US. You know, those are the political realities there. So I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised over the next couple of years. And we'll get some early indications of this at COP on this scaling of the, the transition finance. And then lastly, our third sort of pillar is around policy environments. Right. So again, by way of example, the policy environment in the US and in Europe is much more favorable. Is it enough? We don't know yet. Right. But having these enabling environments, so things like the Just Energy Transition Partnerships or NUEFE, which is Egypt and, and now Vietnam, you've got not just Indonesia, South Africa, um, and Vietnam on JetPs, but I think you're going to see more announcements at COP on partnerships to try to help various jurisdictions with this challenge. And so those are the three sort of legs of our stool, transition planning, mobilizing capital, and having the right policy environment to scale that transition finance. And so I'm hoping that by COP28, it's still early, you know, the COPs are one thing that the, the, the main COP that I worked on was COP26 when I worked for Mark Carney as his senior advisor for the Glasgow COP. Now, that was 18, we had 18 months for that COP because of COVID. I think these poor hosts have much shorter runways. And so you, you're not gonna get real clarity on what's gonna happen at COP until the last minute is the short version of that. So I think your, your listeners are gonna have to stay tuned to a degree. But mm -hmm. I think we'll see, at least from the GFANS perspective, we'll see progress on our three categories. Um, and we're excited to see what else comes along. Yeah, I mean, GFAN's uh, transition plans frameworks were announced at a COP, right? TPT was announced at a COP. Right. Um, so, yeah, yeah more, more development. And we're having the global stock take this year on transition plans, right? So, um, 
yeah more more announcements in that space you reckon more clarity yeah, I, do. Those frameworks? I, mean, yeah. I, I do think there'll be more announcements i mean what we're pleased about is that the tpt you know the gpans framework is really how institutions need to not to use the word twice institutionalize transition planning it's a guide on sort of who you need to mobilize internally within your firm how you think about these we call them the, the five pillars and ten components around governance implementation strategy um you know all the the engagement work you do the uh, metrics and targets you use to track all of that both internal and external as well as governance wrapper around the whole thing the tpt used the same exact framing which is really helpful that's a disclosure framework mm -hmm. and i'll expect to see other jurisdictions make progress too um, on that front so i think you know given the tcfd has transition planning in it the ifrs and the issb have talked about transition plans sec talks about trans plans we think that the tpt and gfans framework and i really do think of them as as one and the same in a way is the manifestation of that bit because my one concern a little bit is that the issb sec and EFRAG all mentioned transition planning but they don't really provide a ton of guidance on mm -hmm. what they expect to see out of those transition plans it's a good start but more work needs to be done and it's really not until you have transition plans that are out there that are being analyzed by analysts portfolio managers the broader community that that you're going to really see what still needs to be done. And so I think given the climate crisis, we're all in such a hurry and I hear you, um, we really need to move fast, but you also, the market needs time to learn and adjust and you learn by doing. So my hope is that you'll see there will be a ton of transition plans announced and or released at COP and then the hard work of figuring out what really good looks like yeah. can be pursued next year. I expect that. I, I do expect, this is one thing I do hope, we better not take eight years for transition plans like it did for TCFD, because really 2030 is our pivotal moment. That's six and a half years away, less actually now. And so we need to compress that kind of timeline for widespread adoption. Mm -hmm. um, at the moment, I know there's only a sort of disclosure framework out from the TPT, um, but it's, it's using climate disclosures only and it, you know, it sort of suggested that it will be bringing in like social and nature disclosures. Have you got any kind of um, information you can share on that, how those are being thought about at the moment? No, I mean, look, I'm, I'm a one trick pony right now, really. It's all, you know, I worked earlier in my career on broader ESG issues. Now I really am focused on climate. I think the two things that I would say about both the TCFD framework and the GFAN transition planning framework is there's no reason why those cannot be widely adopted for other issues. Mm -hmm. They're not climate specific per se. And that was important. When we designed the TCFD, we knew that this idea of these four pillars around governance, strategy, risk, metric, that's just how business manages themselves. This was just saying, hey, when it comes to climate, this is how you think about it. But it, the intention was not to create a separate standalone exercise, but rather to integrate climate into how you already manage your business. I think it's the same with transition planning in that, it, yes, we designed it with a climate lens, but there's no reason 
why you couldn't expand that to others. And in fact, the, uh, by way of example, on the TCFD, the TNFD is really built around the TCFD mm. framework, but it's it's focused on nature and biodiversity instead of just climate. You know, and there's no reason why I've heard rumors of, but I've not yet to see it, that there's a social TCFD in the works. And I'm not clear on who's doing that or what, but there's, I think it makes total sense. It's a common framework. It's easy to understand. And the same with the transition planning. I think you'll see other issues. And, and the ISSB, of course, will be leading the charge on this, right? Because they want to get um, into broader environmental issues. And they have right now, this is important for your, your listeners, a consultation out on what they should be working on next. So um, I think we'll continue to see this field evolve. Um, it's too important not to, and it's it's too important not just for broader society, but for the capital markets writ large. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much. That's really interesting. I'm sure we could just keep talking for hours, but uh, we'll have to catch up um, this time next year and see what's changed. Well, I would love that, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. Find us on SoundCloud or iTunes by searching for ESG Out Loud. 